There are a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet in the showers, eating dip with your fingers, chunky style milk, paying too much for your phone bill. Now that's not right, but thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. They reimagined the wireless shopping experience and made it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. And for a limited time, they're offering two months free when you buy your first month. That's $20 off for three months of wireless. It's really easy to switch. You get this amazing uh, package at your door with socks and a t-shirt and a mug in there. And of course, that little SIM card that you can put into your phone. It's an amazing deal. It's only going to be here for a limited time. You get $20 off, three months of wireless service, eight gigabytes of 4G LTE data, plus uh, unlimited bandwidth for talk and text. You can use your phone right now with any Mint Mobile plan. Keep your old phone number, all of your existing contacts, and it runs on the nation's fastest, most advanced LTE network. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So you can take advantage of this amazing deal Right now, before it's gone, pay $20 for your first month of wireless, and you get two months free by going to mintmobile.com slash USC. That's mintmobile.com slash USC to get three months of premium wireless service for just 20 bucks. mintmobile.com slash USC. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Going to talk some USC Trojan football as we inch closer towards USC Spring Football 2019, should be very interesting. We're going to have Dan Weber on the line. We got Keely Yor in studio. Of course, I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. I'm going to answer all of your questions about the team, some various topics we have to, to get to a new hire in the support staff, something we've been asking for for many months. So we'll talk about all that. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at USC Football. Dot com is the email address, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. Please, if you go to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, positive feedback. That's all great. Uh, I don't know, Keely, have you looked at our uh, reviews lately? Have we had anything? Uh, I tried to-, to, but the Apple, the iTunes layout was kind of weird. Uh, yeah. So I saw like reviews from five years ago, but nothing recent. But nothing. That, that might be the, the interface. Yeah, I think you can do it. I'll, I'll try to look during the show, maybe if we get some good ones. I know, I'm very bad about reading. We we ask for it a lot, and and people leave some really great reviews, but I don't really read them as much. Uh, I know our friends at Rain and Troy do that a little bit better than we do, so I'll I'll try to like bring that up or something and uh, and take a look. But thanks for that. Thanks for the feedback, and uh, we do love hearing from you as always. So let's uh, you know move on. We're going to try to answer some questions for the fans. We're going to talk to. Keely, like we just did. We're going to talk to Dan Weber, who's on the line right now. What is up, Dan? How are you? Doing good. This is kind of the, this might be the quietest week of the of the entire year. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we're not quite close enough to spring ball, and we're far enough away from, uh, you know, recruiting. And we're just kind of in that little valley <clears throat> before it picks up. Uh, uh, although tomorrow ought to be interesting. There's a, there are a couple of, <clears throat> Excuse me, Trojan Club meetings that ought to 
have some potential for uh, for interest to the fans, and we're starting to build back up. But uh, uh, kind of a quiet uh, quiet day, anyway. Yeah, there's a couple interesting ones coming up. You're going to be down in Orange County for the uh, and Lynn Swan, who happens to be USC's athletic director, will be attending that one. Uh, so the Georgia Club of Orange County. So that's going to be Wednesday night, and I will be up on the other side, uh, going north, uh, the San Gabriel Valley Trojan Club. So I'll be speaking at that one. Uh, talking about USC's recruiting class and stuff like that. So I've done that one every once in a while over the years that Sean Canale does a great job up there. And, you know, Andrea down and in, she's a Peristyle user down, you know, uh, in, in Orange County. So we definitely some people that we see on the boards and we know uh, will be out there uh, tomorrow evening. So I'm looking forward to that. But I think, you know, hearing what Lynn Swan has to say would probably be the most interesting thing, Dan. For sure. Really. Uh, I was just thinking uh, a question that might be, and we're going to sit back and, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of questions. We won't have to ask any, but uh, a question might be is, uh, and, and like today's good news, for example, uh, with the new uh, director of on-campus recruiting being named from, uh, came over from Colorado state. Uh, why is it that they went essentially an entire season in an almost an entire recruiting season without someone in that position? Uh, uh, those are the questions I think that get people nervous about USC football that was there, uh, you know, was there any sense of urgency in terms of, uh, you know, with somebody leaving basically after the first game, was there a sense of urgency, uh, you know, to fill that spot? I know it probably isn't easy with other people who you're considering also in their, you know, schools and their programs, but, uh, but filling that spot, right now might make people think, you know, what's the, uh, you know, closing the, closing the barn door after the horse is gone. You know, I mean, it just seems a little bit late. Yeah, uh, it does. So if you don't know, uh, Alex, so what, what Dan mentioned, so the, the news of the day, uh, I guess you could say, uh, Kelsey Winkle, uh, she's coming over from Colorado state. She will be the director of on-campus recruiting for USC. So that was a job basically held by Alex Rios, who Dan said left after the UNLV game. And he didn't go to another school. He he had a different opportunity. He was getting out of that sort of business. And uh, so he he moves on. And it takes from, you know, uh, September all the way to towards the end of February for them to hire. And like Dan said, through a whole recruiting cycle and stuff. So that's, I mean, I think that's on USC. That's something you should probably have tried to fill especially when there's other that they didn't have enough people to begin with. So really not backfilling the people that had left. Uh, but it's really interesting. And we're going to get Keeley's thoughts on this. It seems like a bit of a trend. This is like a job um, that we've seen females get. Someone asked me on Twitter. Women, Ryan. Women. Can I say female? Is that females is a little objectifying. Son of a man. I'm <laughs> trying to be good. I'm like that. Good job. You're okay. Trying. So women. Okay. So women in this role. Uh, she'll, you know, and someone asked me how many women have this role throughout the power five. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. These roles are all pretty new anyway. Like the whole support staff stuff, like this stuff didn't exist, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, but it turns out. So, uh, Kelsey comes over from Colorado state and then someone tweets me, Emily laugh also came over from Colorado state. She's got the same job at, she's director of on-campus football recruiting at UCLA, and then someone said Leah Knight or Lee Knight, I think it's Lee Knight, uh, same thing, came from Colorado State and went to Texas A&M. Um, so there's, there's definitely women in, in these jobs, but like 
USC tends to like not be, I guess it's, you know, if this is a trend, it's nice to see USC sort of get on it while people are doing it instead of like doing it, you know, two years later or three years later. So I, I don't know what you think about it, Keely, but um, you know, it's kind of interesting the way USC, the direction USC went with this. I think it's cool. I think it's cool every time you you just have new faces. We talked about just new blood in the system, USC system. So that I think is a good thing. Um, the fact that it's a female, a woman is cool. Don't say I just, female. I I have I have a right, Ryan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I just the thing I'm curious about is like I don't know if this was something that they set out. Okay, this has to be a role that a woman a woman fills. If that's the case, I don't I don't really like a token hire, you know, hire the best person. I don't care if it's a male or female to hire the best person for the best for the job. Um, that's kind of what we heard a little bit. I'm not sure if that ended up being the case, but I'm glad that there's more diversity um, and bringing fresh blood into the program never hurts. Yeah. She's got experience and she doesn't know the fight song. So I'm cool with it. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think the, uh, to go to um, maybe a little bit of a different use of it in recruiting. I think the SEC always was out in front. And involving, uh, and I think a lot of times it was just, uh, you know, students, uh, undergraduates, uh, hostesses, however you want to call it, if you can recall the Tennessee and, and Lane Kiffin and all that. But I think they, you know, you know, women have been a, a fairly, uh, important part of, of recruiting efforts, uh, over the country. I, I don't, and I don't think it's, this is like, you know, breaking ground. I mean, I think it's, it's good for USC. And uh, you would think some of the skill sets, um, you know, for people who've been doing this like she has for six years would really <clears throat> would really fit in terms of the on campus, uh, you know, efforts that, that you're making. You, you may not want to, you know, um, and, and it would be groundbreaking, I think, if you said we'll hire a woman to replace, say, Gavin Morris, who's going to go out, you know, to all the campuses, and all that that will happen. It's just a matter of you know, when, when does that happen? But, uh, but it's, you know, this is moving in the right direction. Any hire, I think in USC recruiting right now is moving in the right direction. Uh, got them posted on the peristyle real quick. Uh, so Emily Laffitt, um, UCLA, she was actually a budding newscaster. She was at TCU Colorado and Colorado before UCLA, I guess Colorado state, he probably means. Uh, and then Lee Knight was had the same position at Alabama. She was a recruiting director there. Interesting. So. And there's Andy Hansen. Thought, yeah. Annie Hansen at the uh, University of Oklahoma. She's the executive director of recruiting there. It's pretty cool. So yeah, so I guess there's you know it's not a it's not like this brand new thing that's been happening. But Colorado State seems to be a place where people are coming from. So that's yeah. Well, the, Kelsey was an intern and then worked her way up to director of recruiting, which yeah. is pretty cool. We're good thing. And I think there's something to be said for you know a lot of recruiting has to do with families and has to do with moms you know recruiters have said before you got to win the mom over and there's something to be said for the connection that you have with moms as a female i know just from my own standpoint i get some players moms come up to me and they i have a conversation and instant connection with them just because you know it's it's different they're a female i'm a female and we connect in that way looking at the football world the way we do so it's interesting you can have another perspective there and another possible connection yeah no like if a mom wanted yeah. to talk to somebody in the athletic department or it's on the coaching staff, maybe they feel the most comfortable talking with Kelsey or whoever it ends yeah. up being, you know, you where know. just, and having a different voice in the room, a different, you know, different set of eyes, different set of ears coming from a different, you know, maybe there's something that would be done. You're like, and there's a, there's a woman, you know, a woman in the room is like, you know, maybe don't do that. And you're yeah. like, Oh, okay. You know, like just having that probably helps too. Always. Yep. Yeah. And I, I will give her credit um, as an Alaska native, as she mentioned, uh, 
you got to be doing something right because <clears throat> I guess there are no. I don't even know if there's a college football program in Alaska, much less a you know a Division One program. So if you can get yourself from Alaska to USC, you have to be doing something right. Yeah, her and Brandon Peely can swap stories. <laughs> swap stories. Yeah. <laughs> he had to move too. Yeah, just to he be went able to by. Where did he go? By way of uh, Oregon. I believe so. I think yeah, I think it was Oregon. Um, so, okay. So there's that. So that was, I thought that was an interesting, uh, you know, development today. We talked about it needed to happen. Will they keep, keep adding more people? I think they're still going to be far behind, but at least they've backfilled, uh, you know, Alex Rios's spot. One of the other topics that I wanted to, to bring up today, guys, before, uh, 24 seven is doing some off season content and they were, uh, asking me questions like who was the, they asked me last week, like who would be the hardest to replace? And I said it was going to be Porter Gustin just because of his um, production. And some people argued it was Cameron Smith or I'm on Marshall, Emma Marshall or whatever. Like um, this week, the topic was who's going to be the team's breakout star in 2019. This one I found a harder time with. So I wanted to get both of your thoughts on this before I write up my little thing. So I'm kind of <laughs> using, I'm cheating here. But Wow. Using us, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'll uh, I'll toss in one uh, the one most missed for la- from last year for next year. I still think they're they're missing uh, Yuchenna Nwusu two years out. <laughs> I mean, he was so impactful in in the plays he made. You know, on his own, the one of a kind stuff that and and the you know with the you know the quickness and athleticism, all the things he did. I swear they'll still be missing him next year. Um, he he was at him that important, uh, you know, to the program. I, I just think they never got off the dime on defense, uh, in terms of him. I mean, he was just, you know, his presence, uh, didn't allow him to, to do anything, uh, this year. Um, I mean, if you're going to go there, you might as well just go Sam Darnold. Uh-huh. You know? If <laughs> yeah. you're going to do it in Wusu, just go Sam Darnold. Cause then it's like, that's, you know, that's a slippery slope. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Good point. Uh, let's see. Breakout star for this year. <clears throat> I think if he's healthy, Stephen Carr, yeah. I think, changes everything because they th- they can throw the ball to him. And uh, an awful lot of the way you're going to be able to run the ball in the not exactly the air raid or whatever they call it uh, will be, uh, you know, su- suited to his skill set. So, if he comes back, if he's a, you know, he said, I mean, he was the number two running back in the nation or, you know, some people said, Hey, he's just as good as Najee Harris a couple of years ago. And, uh, so he went to Alabama. So, uh, I would, I would look in his direction. Maybe. I mean, I think we expect the, uh, the whole passing game to, you know, to improve just by having, you know, Graham Harrell here, which would be the, you know, the, you know, all the receivers, including the tight end, H backs and the quarterback. Uh, but I, I, I would go in the direction of, uh, of Nod or uh, excuse me, of, uh, <laughs> of Stephen Carr. And on, on defense, I might go Pala EA. I just think he was so much better than they got out of him. I mean, he's that good also. I mean, these are guys that are, you know, almost as good as anybody in the country or better. Uh, in their you know senior year coming out of high school, they've got to be better than what we've seen, and they have to be, I think, ready for breakout time. I think this is a Captain Obvious answer, but I think Michael Pittman could definitely be the breakout star. He said he wanted to return to be a leader 
on offense, and there's definitely an opening for that. In spring, you're looking at only five wide receivers, and so that's a real shot for him to stand out as the top guy. Um, I think on defense, either Talno Hufunga, getting if he's healthy, getting back in the defense after having – I mean, he played so well given the time that he had as a true freshman. And then I think Dan's answer of EA's is also pretty correct there. Yeah. No, there's a good, there's a good ones. I'm not sure which, where I'm going to go. I'll see who's your favorite when you write yeah, it. Right. Yeah. I think, I think Michael Pittman is kind of like a baseball player in his, uh, you know, his last year of a contract where he's looking for the $200 million contract in the next deal. Uh, I think that's where Michael is this year where he's just, you know, and you know, can you, I mean, I just think about all the good receivers USC's had. What if they, they'd all gotten to play in a, you know, semi-air raid system? I mean, what are you talking about? You know, and some of those guys who maybe we thought should have been you know, first round draft picks, uh, who ended up in the second round, you know, like Robert Marquise and those guys, how would they have, you know, fared in this kind of an offense where, you know, they are going to be able to throw the ball? Uh, you know, as much and as well as, as, they, as they should be able to. So uh, I think all the all the wide receivers have to be just saying, man, this is uh, this place where I want to be this year, I would think. Yeah, you would think so. Um, you know, he's, he, uh, we actually had a question on the Harvey Hyde podcast about uh, he got a third-round grade, so USC put out there over the offseason that he had a third-round grade. You know how much can he improve on that this year? So, like, if you if you're right, Dan, it's like it's a free agency thing for him. He felt he could be a third round guy. Can he move up to uh, a first round guy or a high second round guy or something? It would be worth uh, you know a significant amount of money for him. Yes, it would. I think yeah. I think for those guys, this is a you know a dream come true. I think the same with JT Daniels. If uh, if he's the guy, he seems they have the skill set, uh, you know, to do it. Or for, but for all the quarterbacks, I would think they're just uh, you know. So I think from that standpoint, you're going to see a, a much more positive attitude on offense. I mean, th- last year, coming out of sp- or coming through spring and out of spring and over summer, there was not a positive, you know, attitude. It was like spring proved USC was going to be in trouble on offense unless JT was the, you know, to do everything. And um, I just think uh, they have an opportunity to build a whole lot more optimism. And, you know, in terms of the offense, so you would think with, with basically everybody on that and on that offense that they're going to have a whole different attitude because last year, I think the attitude they built was a can't do attitude uh, <laughs> in spring. And I think this year they've got to they got to go the other direction. And I think they will. Can do attitude. Uh, before we jump into questions, uh, I wanted to tell everyone about Trader Joe's. They've been our, a great partner for us. Over the last couple of seasons, uh, we actually got a tweet from our buddy, uh, the Jason Kane at the Jason Kane about Trader Joe's. So he gave us a recommendation because we were talking about different things we like to make. He said, Hey team, listen, Trader Joe's chicken tikka masala, which we, I've had that before. He says, that's really good. He goes, but if you add Dave's insanity sauce and damn, you have hot curry in four minutes or less. So. I'm gonna have to forward that over to you know my wife, and we'll we'll pick it up and see you know, make it. I uh, maybe I'll make that one, but um, yeah, that's uh, I, I haven't tried that, but we'll have to to try. I've had the the, the chicken tikka masala though; that's good. See, spice is not really my thing. Yeah. A- according to the Raina Troy podcast, I'm a super taster. I have I have special taste buds, so spice right. is too much. Special, like I don't want to say something mean, but special. Ryan, 
<laughs> no. I don't know if I, if it were between uh, the uh, the curry and the super spicy curry and the uh, and the trout in a can, man, I think I'd be in trouble. <laughs> I, might, I may not. I may not be able to make that. Uh, Make that choice. My wife ended up buying it again, so it was good. So, jo- okay. so John, uh, you gave us the free sample. Then it got my wife's got hooked now, and she bought it again. So, um, the smoked trout in the can, if you want to do that. But thanks, thanks again for Trader Joe's. They've been awesome with us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to do get us some questions. Kira. You're not oh, okay. getting me. You're not getting me to endorse the, the trout. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I, everything else that John's ever said is correct, but uh, the, the trout might have pushed me a little bit past my my point of endorsement. We want to be in a comfort zone, Dan. <laughs> so shall we get into questions? Yeah, Ryan? let's get into questions. I thought you were going to roll into it, but oh, you know, sorry. I, I, usually, you give me a little a little uh, nod or something. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we have a question from Ralph from Folsom. He says, on the center position, doesn't look like Clay did Tolomadon much good by stubbornly keeping him at center based on the fact that he didn't get invited to the combine. Regardless of who wins the battle at center next year, do you see both Nilon and Didich as part of the best five, with one of them moving to guard? And he's, he also says, good to hear Dan mention Jonah Williams from up in Folsom. As I've said before, the 916 is rich with talent, and I wonder if we focus on it enough. Both Washington and Notre Dame quarterbacks are from here. Williams, top 10 draft pick, Nagata from Clemson, etc. Get up here, Clay. Fight on, Ralph. Yeah, they, they do need to recruit that area more, uh, for sure. I would I would agree with that. I mean, I think uh, uh, Max Preps had uh, was Folsom number nine, I think, in the nation this year. I mean, they were like the you know the fifth Southern or fifth California school uh, uh, that made the top ten nationally. So they've got to be doing something right. I still remember you know getting ready for that Alabama game and looking at their depth chart and and saying, wait a minute, they're starting a freshman tackle from Folsom. What the heck? And it was, you know, that kid, we hadn't heard of him. I mean, he's been so solid for, for Alabama for four years. It's just kind of unbelievable that you got to, you can't, you know, with offensive linemen and the way things are breaking now, you can't lose them to Alabama from California. You just can't. I mean, you just, whatever it takes in terms of recruiting effort, uh, you know, with, with USC's tradition of offensive linemen, uh, just can't let a let a kid leave the state. You just you really really can't. It's just too important. So, what's your take on what uh, Ralph said as far as uh, Justin Dietrich and, and Brett Nealon? Oh, I think they're both. I think whether the top five or the top six, I could see one of them being the you know the. Uh, I think the the thing you like about those two, it, it looks like you know, and they use them as the H backs and the heavy package and all that. Uh, the blocking, you know, to give an extra blocker. I think their versatility is really special. So I could see one of those as the um, as the guy who kind of is the the uh, jack of all trades who can who can almost play anywhere. But you know, I, I'm not you know saying that that would not mean that both of them couldn't be in the in, in the starting five. I like their athleticism. I like their bounce. Uh, They've got more of that, I think, than than we've been seeing in the USC offensive linemen. Now, some of that might be coaching, and and some of that might be really knowing what they're supposed to do. But um, uh, but yeah, I like. I think both of them need to move up. That that group, or those those 
you know, first and second year guys who just didn't seem to get developed uh, on both sides of the ball. I think really has that has to happen this year that we have to see that kind of development where those guys uh, become factors and, and not just bench sitters or not just, you know, well, we'll get them on the field. Maybe sometime uh, they got to be on the field. They got to be playing and, and you got to play to their strengths. And I think, I think their movement ability, their athleticism, I think is a real plus. They're both confident kids. I don't think either one of them really quite understood why they weren't playing last year. And I don't think I did either. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's going to be fewer bodies now. I think 14 uh, will by the fall. So uh, getting more guys involved, getting repped. I mean, you just don't want people to be buried. And I think those two guys are both too talented to not, you know, if you got to be a six man, get to rotate it in, whatever you got to do. I think they need to do that. I mean, if, if they went to Alabama, and I think both of them were number one centers in, their, in the country. They were, in their yeah. Class. So, yeah. I mean, like, if if you if they'd have gone to Alabama, everybody say, oh, the rich get richer. They just keep getting more of those guys, and, and they come, you know, come to USC, and you know they leave the game without you know getting any dirt on their jerseys. And it was like, this isn't probably the way it ought to be. And uh, I just think you can't have guys uh, with that much potential who seem you know really like they want to get the job done, and they're athletes. I mean, I like it that they move they move well, and we haven't seen that you know bounce in the offensive lineman as much as, as you'd like. And, and those guys have it. So I, I, I really like the, the thought of getting more athletic people, uh, you know, on the field and in the game, just got to do that. We had a couple of voicemails. So we did our tunnel vision show on, I think we did Wednesday. Wednesday. We did Wednesday. And so we did live calls, but people were calling in during the show and then they would leave a voicemail. I got a couple of them that were interesting. I think I did one during the Harvey Hyde podcast. We've got a couple for this one too. Um, but the essentially people are calling in during the show and they were just, you know, leaving like these general voicemail questions this week. We're probably going to, we're going to do, looks like we're going to do the show Thursday because you know, uh, we're going to both be, or a lot of us will be doing stuff on Wednesday. Or at least I will be, Dan will be. So we'll do our tunnel vision show. Looks like Thursday night. We're trying to put that together. But here is a a voicemail question we got during that show, Dan, and let you get your thoughts on it. Hi guys, my name is Matt. I'm a huge USC fan. Been a fan since the Reggie Bush era. To have a quick question: What is the biggest strength on the USC team right now, and what is the biggest weakness going into the 2019 season? Peace out. Fight on. I think the biggest strength is. USC's got a lot of athletes. <clears throat> they really do. Uh, they have to make use of them, but uh, they don't have a lot of seniors. And so I think development is really, really important. I was, I was really disappointed, uh, for example, with the defense last year. I thought <clears throat> coming out of spring, I thought we saw a lot of guys that, that look like if they get them into the right sy- system and, and get them on the field that, you know, could run to the ball and really make, uh, you know, make athletic plays. And I don't think we saw that kind of development at all in the fall. It just seemed, you know, very stagnant. Um, as far as the weakness, <clears throat> uh, I'll say, you know, the flip side of that is the ability of the coaching staff to develop these kids. I, I just think, I mean, I think there's some uh, thin, you know, clearly some thin uh, position, you know, spots on this team. Uh, and you can never, you know, know how that's going to work out and, and, you know, in terms of where your injuries are going to come and all that kind of thing. But I think the, 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 the weakness that, I mean, I, I, for example, I thought last spring 
they knew they were in trouble. I mean, practices were downers. Practices were negative. Balls were bouncing on the ground. It was like, I don't think we can run an offense. It's not the way this is. And it didn't look like anything was done to address that. You know, it just kind of, you know, just petered out, you know, in terms of the spring. And and it didn't seem like there was a plan. Uh, You know, they they talked about being run first, and they knew they couldn't be a run first team with the way the offensive line, you know, was shaping up and all that. And and just things just kind of got away from the coaches. I mean, obviously the offense, you know, no one seemed exactly in charge. No one had wanted to be in charge, uh, you know, the play calling, all of that kind of thing. Um, I think that has to, that has to become, you know, from what was an obvious weakness last year in, in terms of, uh, you know, preparation and play calling and game planning and all of that. I mean, it was, you know, just, uh, and motivating. I mean, the UCLA game, come on, uh, you know, that has to, it has to go from being a weakness. So I think that's that may be my weakness. Yeah, I would agree with everything Dan said. I think talent is definitely the biggest strength, and I think the biggest weakness is probably from an organizational organizational standpoint is the stubbornness to not address things that need to be changed in the middle of a season, you yeah. know, or a flexibility in that sense. Yeah, I think most of the weaknesses are going to be on the coaching side. To be fair. <laughs> I don't want, you know, but there's, I do think the adjustments and people had asked, you know, I think there were some threads on the peristyle about this a little bit where there's a plan in place and you just sort of like stick to it because that's, that's what the plan was. And instead of adapting and I, I think not being able to, to make those kind of changes, I know people say, uh, well, you know, they're, they're not doing the halftime adjustments or things like that. I mean, there's, there's stuff like that too, but I feel like, you know, Hey, they come in, they had some plan in August. By the, I mean, you know, for beginning of fall camp or something, and then by you know the middle of camp, something weird happens. Like you might need to change the plan, or yeah. if the the team isn't being physical enough, you got to change the plan. I, I think that's definitely been one of the weaknesses: the, the ability to adjust uh, on the fly. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know that whole adjust and develop uh, really plays into the physicality and practice. I think, and and the playing under pressure, under you know game pressure and game competitiveness and all of that, you, you can't be asking these guys to amp it up when Saturday gets here. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta be at that level every single day, every play you run every day. And if you don't, you're wasting your time. I mean, this cannot be, uh, you know, taking the quarterback room or the running back room onto the practice field. No, keep the room, the room. When they get on the practice field, it's gotta be, game you know everything has to be game simulation you can't use injuries you can't use anything i don't think um you know to to excuse that there can't be any excuses you got to go out and say we got to get ready we're going to practice the way we're going to play games and you are and and what happened was this year they they played like they practiced and now they've got to practice the way they want to play and um uh, we'll see we have an email from Dan, class of 1962. He says, I appreciated Dan's take on having four quarterbacks on the roster each year. However, as I stated in my last text to the podcast, it would be helpful helpful if all four had the same type of skill set so that one system could be coached. A few years ago, in a similar QB situation, Jalen Green was converted from a QB to a split-in to capitalize on his running and pass-catching skills. 
I would like to hear your take on the coaches doing the same thing with Matt Fink. He appear, he appears to be a fin, fantastic runner, and USC is thin at running back, so why not use Fink as a running back who also has the option to pass like Jalen did? When your roster is thin, why not maximize the use of a QB who is at least third on the depth chart or even fourth next year when Bryce Young enrolls? Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, I, I don't disagree at all. I, I think that you you would like to incorporate a you know a position uh, for for Matt Fink, for example. And uh, I thought the I thought Jalen Green got a lot done. Actually, I would have liked to have seen him using more. He he had a lot of poise on his uh, on his flanker, you know, reverse passes and things like that. And uh, you know, you got to kind of sneak sneak your guy in there. Uh, but with with uh, Matt Fink, he can run the ball. So uh, I don't think it would be totally, you know, out of the question that, that he, you know, and I, maybe you do run the ball with him. So it's not automatic if he's in the game, uh, you know, he's going to throw the ball. But, yeah, I like that. That's, I think, a, that's a nice twist. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just got to perfect it. You can't just hope, you know, that it, that it works because on paper maybe it could work. You, you have to make it work. And, uh, but, uh that's when you you got to get everything done in practice and, and you got to, you know, practice fast and, and, and smart and hard. And, uh, uh, I, I would like to see USC make teams adjust to USC right now. When USC runs a trick play, the trick is usually on USC. I mean, they just, uh, you know, they fool themselves, but they, they don't exactly fool anybody else. So the, the trick plays with USC always seem to have had a sort of a desperation, uh, you know, element to them. And uh, you would like to see them, you know, go about it in a way that, you know, that it's not uh, a desperate kind of a thing, but it's just something that's really going to, uh, you know, take the other team by surprise or force them to prepare for things that USC is going to do. But, you know, the key is to be able to do them really well and really confidently. And, uh, you know, getting a, you know, veteran quarterback to do something like that is, it's usually a pretty good idea. So, uh, yeah, Dan, I think uh, that's a good idea. I don't. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> I don't know. It's like that seems like you're asking a lot. Like just to do the basic stuff, it seems like it's pulling teeth sometimes. Like, oh, let's make Matt Fink a hybrid running back. Thing. I like. I don't know. I'm not expecting like something like that to work. I feel like. I've... Well, okay. Sorry. Go, Dan. Uh, oh, I was just thinking. The, the way they're going to practice, I think, instead of running plays, I think they're going to practice to play in the air raid, and I think they're going to practice all the, all the, you know, the, the, the you know, passing tree cuts and, and all of that. And so it becomes like a second nature uh, kind of a thing for the quarterbacks and the receivers, making it possible maybe to have, you know, the ability and the time to, uh, uh, to do that. I mean, one of the things I would like to see is to have value for guys like, you know, a Matt Fink, who's been a leader and been a really loyal, you know, a loyal guy and to have a place for him, you know, on the team. Yeah. I think the way they've done things in the past, forget it. You can't do it that way. I'm just hoping that, you know, that they have the ability to, to do some wrinkles, uh, that, that are unpredictable enough that that make other teams take time to you know to prepare for them, and that that has a gives you a place say to a guy like a Matt Fink. Uh, I would, but only you know you got to get it right. It gets got to work, and you can't spend too much time on it. But um, you know we'll see how they practice on offense. Uh, they haven't practiced all that well on offense. Uh, 
and that'll be the key. I guess my hope would be they practice well enough on offense that they can do something like that. But you're right. In the yeah. years past, uh, <laughs> no can do. Yeah. Uh, we had another uh, Tunnel Vision voicemail question. I like these. These are usually pretty like concise and like these are nice. Like they're calling in. I we might be able to play them during this show, but I think that would be hard because we're doing like the live calls. We're doing calls. a lot of stuff. We're doing a lot. I could put that on Keely's plate during the show. She seems cool. to be to kind of she's kind of bored, you know, doing fifteen things. Uh, here's the other give it, voice. Give it, give it to the guy in the next room. Yeah, Trevino. He could do <laughs> it. Trevino. Uh, all right. Here's the other question we got. Hi guys, um, I was wondering, uh, JT Daniels going into his second year, I was wondering what, um, what do you want to see in JT do better this season? Um, for me, would be not eyeing down just one receiver, kind of looking at the field more, not just setting his target on one receiver. I would love to hear from you guys. Thank you. I think the biggest problem last year is JT would try to guess looking at the defense, knowing the call, who was going to be open. Because most of the time, nobody was open. I mean, he threw, everything was contested. I mean, you see other teams and you think, you know, they got re- receivers running, at least one of them maybe, you know, per play. I don't, I mean, it was a sign of what was, what the problem with the offense was. Okay, first of all, teams didn't have to respect the run against USC. So here's JT, you know, throwing the, nobody's open. So I think he had a tendency to say, well, I think this guy has the best chance of maybe, you know, he might be contested, but I think I can get the ball to him where he's going to be. I think, you know, I think it'll, it'll look a lot different with, uh, you know, with more receivers running, uh, you know, routes where basically the, the, the idea is just to get people into space and it'll be quick reads and quick throws. And I think JT does both of those well. Uh, he just, you know, th- there was not a threat that forced teams to uh, come up and play the run or come up and play the quarterback, you know, uh, for anything. And um, and that made it really difficult, I think, for the quarterback. So I think it'll look, I just, you know, I think his skill set is such that, that he fits the, uh, the not quite air raid, you know, really well. I mean, I think he'll see it. He'll... Uh, He'll he'll be able to deliver it. If it were me, I'd like to see JT. He re, he's got such a good arm that he relies on it. I think maybe more. I mean, there are people I think coming out of last year who don't realize he's got the kind of arm he's got because he didn't get a chance to to show it off. But I, I do think there were times he was back on his heel, throwing with his with all arm, and you know you can get away with that if you've got people open. Uh, but when you're, you know, having to throw into really tight windows, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a difficult thing to do. And, uh, I think he'll surprise people. I think the USC quarterbacks in general, I, I was reading last week. This is an amazing, amazing commentary on where USC football has gone. John Wilner started, uh, the Bay Area News Group guy who basically is the only person who covers the entire Pac-12 as his beat. And he was evaluating, he's doing position evaluations for next year. And he was evaluating the quarterbacks. So I'm thinking, you know, talking about who's back and who's, who's new and how this all plays out. And I think, well, USC ought to have a pretty good evaluation. You got all three quarterbacks back. Uh, how could you do any better than that? Well, according to Wilner, USC's quarterback situation is eighth 
in the Pac-12. He had seven quarterbacks or quarterback groups, uh, position groups, better than USC's, which tells me how bad a situation USC's offense put you know the quarterbacks in last year. And I, I think I think all that changes with the uh, with the not quite air raid uh, and, and Graham Harrell and the way they're going to coach him up. Uh, but uh, it's amazing to me that they would think, you know, based on last year, USC would would be the uh, only the eighth best quarterback uh, situation position group in the Pac-12. I think also adding on to what you said, Dan, I think if he wins the job, I think it would be good for JT to really start to take on a leadership role. I think you can't have a successful offense if your quarterback isn't a true leader. And I know JT was kind of in a weird situation last season where he didn't really know until the week before the season. And then you can't really be a, a full leader in that sense. So I think taking full ownership of the job and the leadership capabilities that come with it, um, should he be named the starter is something that he can also improve on. Yeah. I mean, I think they were you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. He had to be the starter. He had to be the guy, but they couldn't name him as the guy in August. So yeah, you're right. I mean, he was, you know, I mean, there were people keeping track of the quarterback race and, you know, all the, uh, all the passes and all that. And he was going to win it and he was going to be the guy, but you know, we, we get to game one and two and we find out, yeah, he, you know, like a, a Pittman would say, yeah, he hasn't had the chance to throw me the ball much or Tyler Vaughn's or whoever it was that said that said, yeah, we're starting to, you know, get a situation where he's going to throw me the ball more now in practice. And it's like, wait a minute, you just came through August. So, uh, so I think that's, that's part of that. And I think you're absolutely right in terms of the quarterback in this system, by definition, by everything else is the leader. I mean, there is no, if you go back to all these, uh, you know, all these air raid teams, uh, the quarterback's the guy, I mean, it's all, it's, it's, you know, predicated on the quarterback, you know, doing, you know, what he can do and, uh, and what he's going to give, you know, get the opportunity to do. So, so I think, I don't even think he has to try. The problem last year was you didn't even know which coach was in charge of the offense, much less, uh, you know, having a freshman quarterback. So uh, I think there was so much indecision and, uh, you know, lack of clarity about what they were trying to do on offense that probably Sam Darnold was having trouble, I think, with the offense by the end of his second year, it just wasn't going anywhere. And, uh, it was really almost impossible to ask a freshman, you know, to do that. But I think just by the change of everything that they're going to be doing and the way they're going to be practicing and all that, there won't be any doubt, you know, who's in charge. And if it's one of the other two on occasion, an injury or whatever, I don't think there'll be any doubt either. It'll be the quarterback. It's, it's a quarterback's offense. Yep. It is a quarterback's offense. Uh, I expect JT Daniels to play a lot better. I expect a lot of the talk of uh, Jack Sears should start or Matt Fink should start. I think that's going to go away once he starts putting up some some better numbers. Uh, and, you know, the numbers were similar. I, I was listening to the Reign of Troy people, and they were talking about how the numbers were similar between Matt Barkley in 2009 and, um, uh, and uh, JT Daniels in 2018. But then they were discounting JT Daniels because everyone's numbers are up from 2009. Everyone's doing better. The the passer ratings are much higher and all, and all that kind of stuff than what they were then. But I would argue that 
it doesn't mean that, you know, a lot of the offenses are more advanced. USC's offense wasn't more advanced. I think they just put JT Daniels in a bad spot a lot of the time. So I think he's going to do a lot better in this new air raid system. And I think people will stop talking about playing other people, but that's just my thoughts. Well, you know, the other thing, uh, the defenses were better. Uh, So defenses had more ability to stop that old style offense. And especially when you couldn't run the ball. So it was, he was an absolutely, I mean, I just don't think people should personalize, uh, you know, what happened last year on offense to JT Daniels. I mean, just watch him. Some of the throws he made were, you know, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he, he's doing some, he was doing some things that very few people in college football, uh, you know, could do, which is why I'm kind of like really disappointed in say Wilner's analysis because it just doesn't get what was going on. And he obviously didn't pay much attention to, uh, to JT in terms of his, uh, his skill set. But, uh, but it'll be fun to watch. I mean, I just think it's, you know, if he, if, for example, last year, if I were, you know, running things, I think I might have said, here, JT, do the game plan for this week. Whatever you feel comfortable doing, I'm comfortable with you doing it. I think they'd have been better off. I think this year, in effect, they're almost going to be doing that because I think what Graham Harrell sees and, and wants to do and what Cliff Kingsbury was seeing with the USC personnel, starting with JT, is what they need, you know, for their offense. So, so I think, you know, I think people are going to be surprised uh, at how this is going to work uh, for JT. So we have a question from T. Grizzle. He mm. says, which is a worse situation? The, se- the season where Lane Kiffin went num- from one- number one to the crash he had before he was fired, or now with Coach Clay Helton? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's a whole, it's such a different, um, I mean, I, I think we knew things weren't going to come back with, after that year. I mean, the way they finished up the Sun Bowl, I mean, honestly didn't think he was going to come back that Monday uh, after the Sun Bowl. And he made it all the way through to the, uh, uh, you know, Arizona State game the next year. But, you know, the writing, there was no question. It was over. It was just a matter of time. And USC decided, well, we'll give him another shot to screw everything up. And then we'll have to fire him in the middle of the year. And I, I do think there was a discussion on the pa- on the uh, uh, peristyle last week about people, uh, some people objecting to using the word tarmac, and they thought that was that should not be used when, in terms of USC football. I couldn't disagree more. I think tarmac. I mean, that's a word that ought to be in the Urban Dictionary now because it's so perfectly described the situation with Lane Kiffin. Uh, and I think it's a, a verb that ought to be used more. And, and maybe there are times, you know, more people ought to get tarmac. But uh, uh, I just thought, uh, I thought that was, a, that was, and maybe you could say the, the same situation, whereas you have this sense of it's just not going to get better. Why are, you know, why are we waiting around and all that? I don't know that I'm completely there yet. <laughs> And I don't know what completely means, you know, that 98% or what, what I don't know. I mean, I could see how this team could have, have a pretty decent year, but then you always, when Lane was a coach, 
could see a way that they could have a pretty good year. And then stuff always happened and it didn't maybe turn out the way, way you thought it was, you know, was going to turn out. So, um, I, I think there are some similarities, even though, uh, the personalities couldn't be more different. Um, and all the other, you know, parts of it, the, you know, the recruiting ability and what have you, uh, they're, they're really different people in different places, but, um, but that inevitability, I think that's the, the hardest thing to deal with when there's sort of a sense of, uh, this isn't going anywhere. There's probably under these circumstances with these people, uh, it's probably not going to, going to change, uh, fast enough, uh, and just change enough, uh, to be acceptable. So, so I guess there is, there's some of that. It just, it was harder. Lane was really hard to deal with because of his quirky personality in, in, in so many different ways. Uh, I wouldn't think they will have, for example, a Sun Bowl meltdown moment when they tried to act like maybe. Uh, I mean, you had the, the Lane saying for a few weeks, uh, I'm not going to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, and then showing up at, in El Paso and saying, yes, I am. And having his assistant coaches really not happy and having, uh, Matt Barkley, whose arm hadn't been out of a sling for a month acting like maybe he'll play. And then having, you know, picking Max Wittick, who unfortunately just didn't seem quite ready to whatever, you know, run the offense and having that offensive performance. And then having the, the fight in the locker room and all the other things that happened off the field, the line Kevin, I don't think that will happen. I don't think you're going to see that kind of a, a, just an absolute meltdown scenario. But, uh, but, uh, you know, there are some similarities that, that give, give one pause to say, where is this going? T. Grizzle, uh, I'm going to say this is worse. 2018 was worse than 2013. Now, I agree with everything Dan's saying. Lane was a cluster on, I mean, off the field. Just, I mean, as many screw-ups as you could possibly have. But if you look at the overall script, they still went to a ball game. Yes, there were expectations were pretty high. Some people, I don't think the AP had USC number one, but there was, you know, like sporting news or someone, someone had like USC should be number one going into the season after going 10 and two coming off sanctions and stuff. So certainly uh, falling down to seven and six, uh, that that was a pretty big disappointment, but USC was picked, you know, PAC 12 champs. They were picked to uh, repeat and win the PAC 12 South and they finished five and seven and didn't make a bowl game. I think on the field, it was way worse. I think you lost to a two and eight UCLA team. That was pretty freaking terrible. Um, But the, Looking at the recruiting side, if I'm going to miss, both classes missed, right? Lane Kiffin's recruiting class missed by signing four five-star players and eight four-star players. They had the number one class in the country. It fell all the way down to 13, but only because there was only 12 dudes. They lost a bunch of guys, but the guys they got were all like studs. It was different with Clay Hilton. They went after the big guys, couldn't get them, and then they filled a big class with a lot of three-star guys that... You know, it could definitely work out, but that could be a big risk too. You're filling up the roster. I'd rather miss with like a 12-person star-studded class than a 26-person full of three-star class. We've never seen USC sign 18 three-stars ever. So that's something that happened. And I think if you look back 
over the, since the beginning of last year, I believe it was, I, I kept track on the scholarship distribution chart. I counted, I believe, 20 players off the team uh, that for whatever reason, transfers, you know, get kicked off, whatever it was from last year. So there's also been a lot of attrition there too. I, I, I think Clay Helton has the ability to turn this thing around. I think with Graham Harrell coming in there, but man, this, that they were able to, you know, they never had a losing record in 2013. You were able to kind of bounce back even after firing Kiffin and stuff. This one could be worse. So I'm going to say 2018 was worse, but mostly because, you know, not m- making a bowl game since 2000, since 2000 is the big, biggest deal for me. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look back at last year, nothing Lane did compared to last year. There no question as, as weird and quirky as he was. Uh, they didn't ever fall, you know, that far, that fast. So uh, there, no question about it. I think Clay, maybe he has a little more opportunity to pull out of it than maybe Lane did because Lane stuff was all about Lane. Uh, whereas maybe Clay, you know, you get into the exactly, and maybe it's by luck, I don't know, but you get enough people around you who realize this is their shot and you've got enough talent that you didn't maybe even realize you had. So I think, I think what Clay just went through was way worse than what anything Lane put USC through. However, I think he might have uh, a slightly better chance to uh, avoid being tarmac <clears throat> next year, where I think Lane did. Lane was, Lane was a goner. Uh, but I think a big part of that's going to be recruiting. Lane got to the point where he was persona non grata, um, uh, uh, you know, on a lot of uh, Southern California high school campuses. And, and that's not going to happen with Clay, but it, you almost, if you have a Brew McCoy leave, you're almost persona non grata, even if they like you personally or whatever. Uh, you know, the results are the, are the same. I think you got to fix that. Uh, they absolutely have to get a sense among the high school coaches in, in California that, this is a program that has a chance and, you know, you know, stay home. Don't go to, you know, SE, don't go to LSU or don't go to Alabama or don't go, you know, Texas or wherever. Uh, he gotta, he's gotta fix that. Uh, if he doesn't fix that, then you're in the same situation as Lane was where the writing's on the wall and it'd just be a matter of when, when does it happen? To build on what Dan said, do you think from a national brand perspective, as far as USC goes, with Lane, it was more like, oh, this is a this is a random one-time thing that they didn't succeed versus I think with Clay, it feels like people are more apathetic. You know, people still cared about what would happen with USC with Lane, whereas like it's kind of accepted like, oh, USC is kind of just in a down downward spiral right now. Yeah, I would say national perception is much lower now than it was then. So that's that's a problem. It's a problem for the Pac-12. Um, you know, USC was up there with the the Rose Bowl and stuff. But even last year, winning the Pac-12, it wasn't a big deal nationally. Where with Lane, at least USC was a big deal for one reason or another. <laughs> you know, I think with Lane, it was all about Lane. And people would say, USC still USC. They just got that guy as their coach. He'll be gone, you know, whatever. But USC still USC. And USC acted like USC. Whereas now, uh, I mean, it's like the chum, chum is in the water. And everybody is coming in to recruit and they look at, you know, the fact that UCLA, apparently, I don't know if they even recruit. Do they still recruit? I'm not even sure. They did in this past so, cycle. I think they're starting to do it again. They just took a year off basically. <laughs> they took a year off. Okay. And so people look and say, 
hell, California is there for the taking. So now you've got everybody coming. And, you know, in those years past, and even when Lane was here, people didn't think they could come into California right. and get the best players. Never. That was not even a thought. Maybe we could steal one guy. Maybe one of us could. But now everybody thinks they can come in and use all that, you know, against USC. Even as dumb as they are, the Pac-12, and, and Willard is getting this right, and he keeps preaching it to the Pac-12, if USC and UCLA stay down, especially in both sports, the Pac-12 is screwed, completely screwed nationally. And maybe the rest of you better wake up to the fact that the difference in the SEC, they may have hated the year Auburn basically stole a national championship, whatever you want to work, however you want to do it with Cam Newton, that only by the grace of God did they, was he allowed to play and all of the things that happened. And the SEC hated that. But they made the decision, we'll hold our noses and we'll accept the national championship. That's not what the Pac-12 would have done. Pac-12 was thrilled to death when USC got hit. Thrilled to death. And, you know, Larry Scott coming in and saying, they're much better off not to have one national championship program and all the rest of them down here. Let's have parity. Let's have everybody not very good. Yeah, great. I mean, that's uh, but that's been the you know, the call of the Pac-12. And I think the Pac-12 has to also, you know, start paying attention to, you know, what do they have to do schedule-wise and everything else, uh, you know, to give somebody a chance to, you know, compete for national championships. And if you look around, the only program that can do that on any kind of consistent basis is USC. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, they're in a position right now that even now, I mean, there's still what in both of the big Vegas books, there's still the number 17 choice to win the national championship next year. That's strictly on brand name and, yeah. and, and recognition and people in LA maybe, you know, trying to get their money or whatever. But, uh, uh, and, and who was it? Uh, the way too early USA today had them at, had USC at number 15, uh, in the top, you know, top 25. I was like, really? Uh, so they still, I mean, they're not completely gone yet, but to the people I think who really know college football and to the, a lot of the people that you'd be competing against for national championships, they look at what USC is doing and they think it's kind of a joke that you're really not competing with Notre Dame and certainly not with Clemson and Alabama and Texas and, 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 and hell, you're not even competing with UCL. I mean, with uh, Utah, uh, and maybe not with Washington. And uh, that's the perception that USC has got to get over right now that, uh, you know, that no, we really do want to. And, and so today, like, you know, the announcement, you've got a, an on-campus uh, director of on-campus recruiting hired. And then immediately the flip side is, yeah, it's a position that was open for the entire season and the entire recruiting cycle. And, you know, it, even the, ba- the good news has a, a bad news element to it about USC's uh, ability and willingness to compete for national championships. They still keep saying that, but it's what do you do, I think, that really matters. And, and we're just not seeing them do all the things. They're doing a couple of things that may be moving them in the right direction, but you got to do so many things right to be back into that, into that mix, and, uh, and we, don't, we haven't seen that. No, and I think that's a really good point is – Back then, it was still, it wasn't going to be easy for you to come into California and take a five star or a high four star out of there. Now, 
It is. Uh, and that, that happened pretty quickly. So this is something that Pete Carroll built up for the last almost 20 years. He made it really hard for people to come in and poach the best players in California. That's the biggest slippery slope. And that's bad for the entire Pac-12. So I do think this is more dire. It's not that it, it, you can't come out of it, but USC is in a, a fairly dire situation right now. And I think you got there's some things that need to change this year right away uh, to make it better. And, you know, hiring someone, you know, to be the... The, the director of recruiting on campus. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. To, to not have someone for a whole season, basically, was was a big deal, too. And you saw the results. Right, a, a big part of what's going on right now is that at the top level, California high school football is so good. And the flip side of that is, do kids who are competing for national championships at the high school level, like a modern day in Bosco, want to come you know, to a program that they know everything about right now, that's lucky if they're in the top half of the Pac-12 South. I mean, that familiarity with USC's program, for example, Modern Day wins the national championship and USC gets zero players from Modern Day. They're all-time, basically all-time feeder school, coached by a former USC football player. That's the downside of having the kind of year USC's having or had because uh, those kids are... Uh, used to more they want more demands they want more excellence they want they do not want you uh you know to just say well we can't do this or we can't do that or this you know and all the excuses and whatever that's not what you know kids from a program like modern day uh, you know are accustomed to so uh the california schools <coughs> excuse me i think pick up on the the program slide faster than anybody i mean they're the ones you have to you know convince again that no you aren't taking a step backwards from modern day to usc right now those kids think they would be that they're not moving you know in the same direction as they were at modern day or at bosco that's a real you know that's a perception problem that usc has to change uh with everything they do with all their hirings with the way they recruit with the way they practice everything, the way they market themselves. Uh, right now, it does not look like USC's trying. Uh, for example, is USC trying as hard as Clemson to win the national championship? Of course not. Not even close. Uh, you know, you have to do that. Uh, you can't just say, well, we'll look at our history. No, these kids now are looking at, I mean, most of these kids, they don't know Pete Carroll as a USC coach at all. I mean, he's like a lifetime ago for the kids you're recruiting now. You know, they were in kindergarten or wherever, uh, you know, when Pete was, 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 you know, running things at USC. USC has to be, you know, a completely different uh, program than they're presenting right now to these kids. And we'll see if they can, if they can get there. But, uh, but I think they've, they've got to do something about California. Pete did it from the minute he stepped you know, on campus, California, you build the wall. And uh, w one of the ways you did that was you won the Pac-12 every year. And you knew you were going to be in the Rose Bowl every year. I mean, it was to the point, people, I, I don't know if Ryan would understand this. I'm not even sure Keeley would understand. People were getting tired of going to the Rose Bowl every year. It was like, oh, man, we got to go to the Rose Bowl again. It was like, it was so different from the way things are now. Uh, that uh, USC has to go to that place 
uh, and do all of those things. And I know there for a few years, there were people who didn't want to follow the Pete Carroll, you know, mode of, of doing things. And, uh, I think it's to be a pretty good idea. Maybe bring Pete back for spring ball. And, <laughs> uh, good. and yeah. I, I would, I wouldn't mind. I would, you know, you know what else they ought to do? I think they ought to bring back, uh, uh, you know, Marcus Allen and Ronnie Lott and Anthony Munoz and those guys. And, uh, just show these kids, this is what USC football, you know, is all about. And, and Carson Palmer and Troy Palomalu and, uh, and maybe get some input from those guys, you know, make them analysts for, for a week or something like that. And, and ask them what they think. I'd like to, you know, love to to hear the feedback from those guys after seeing a few USC practices. Well, we have one final question. It's an email from Jim B. He says, great podcast. Keep up the good work. This is for Dan Weber. I heard that high up on the list for USC president was Morton Shapiro. From what I read, it sounded like he would be a great hire if they could get him. Then I read that he was no longer high on the list anymore. Is that true? And if if so, why? Is it that USC let him know he was not interested or that the board of trustees just decided that he wouldn't be a good quote-unquote fit and passed over him like they did with Chris Peterson because who knows, if they hired him, he might turn this program around and bring the football program back to the days of glory. Heaven forbid, tragedy tragedy of all tragedies, fight on Jim B. Yeah, I don't know that you could. I mean, he certainly ought to be on the short list. I can't even imagine that there's a short list that he's not on or hasn't been on. I mean, let's face it, there is a, there is a problem with the board of trustees. Uh, although we know they had a meeting about 10 days ago and nothing has come out of that meeting. It's the, it's the, you know, just total radio silence. So I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, without a doubt, if you could bring the fact that he, you know, had been a dean at USC and a very successful dean, in the 90s, and then, you know, two presidencies at Williams College and then at Northwestern, private, you know, very excellent academic schools, and, and Northwestern, obviously, big city, big impact, uh, uh, big-time uh, football, Big Ten, uh, all of that background. And he obviously, uh, from some of the interviews he's done, really knows his football, really cares about his football. Uh, his you know, his, Northwestern now has the best athletic facilities in the Big Ten. It's almost in, impossible. Two hundred new, two hundred and seventy million dollars uh, worth of athletic facilities there on Lake Michigan. Uh, you know, in Evanston, and, uh, and a, a really just unbelievably good athletic director and uh, and uh, head football coach Pat Fitzgerald, who's a, a Northwestern alum and a Chicago guy, uh, but has done you know wonders there. Now, there are people who say, oh, USC's job isn't a better job than the Northwestern job. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it is. I think he's such an outstanding candidate that you have to do whatever it would take to get him to come to USC would be my, that'd be my take. Now, if you get him, you know, and somebody says, hey, you know, uscfootball.com 24-7, whatever, however they described it, says you're a leading candidate and What's he going to say? He's not. I mean, we've seen enough of these, you know, with with uh, big time head coaches, where I don't know. We haven't talked to anybody there. They haven't talked to me. Well, well everybody's got intermediaries. Everybody's got representatives. Everybody has uh, deniability when these things happen. So, 
you know, you're not going to expect him to say, Hey, yeah, I'm really hoping they give it to me. But if, if they don't, I can still fall back on Northwestern or whatever. No, he's not going to say that. Uh, and it's up to USC. Can, can the board of trustees get their act together enough to, if he's clearly the guy to go out and get him, we'll see. I mean, I mean it's a big challenge for, you know, for Rick Caruso, uh, and, and what does he want to do with the board and for other guys on the board who aren't very thrilled about, you know, the way things have been going on the board. So I don't think we know right now. I, I'm not giving up on uh, on the idea that, you know, Morton Shapiro would be just an absolutely, uh, you know, home run hire. Uh, but in whatever USC has, USC is in a position right now, they have to get someone like that. So it should be, and if you make it, you know, you say, hey, we're going to make you the highest paid president in the country. You make him the highest paid president in the country. It's that important. And uh, and you make it work and you just and you give him the kind of freedom to do whatever he has to do to, you know, to straighten up USC and whatever he has to do in terms of, uh, you know, having the kind of people uh, working for him and, uh Give him that ability to say, whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to do it. And USC needs you to do it. Now, that would be uh, creates real resistance inside USC. If you're, right. you know, at the layers of administration where life is pretty good at USC, you really don't have to do too much. Uh, you know, it's a great place to work and great environment. And it's got so much going for it that unless they have, you know, scoreboards involved and all that, you can't screw up too badly. Uh, uh, so I think they probably have to shake up a whole lot of layers of uh, uh, bureaucracy at USC. And that, if you're one of those bureaucrats, you're not probably thrilled with the idea of bringing in somebody who might have the freedom to do that. But I think that's what USC needs. And I think a guy like Shapiro, who's you know had a decade at, at Northwestern, I, mean, I think that's almost like the perfect place to get ready for USC, because you come in and you have the first meeting of the Pac-12 presidents and you say, what? What the hell are you doing here? You don't know what you're even getting from the Pac-12 networks? You're not even allowed to read the contracts? You're not allowed to see the books? Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, we're going to go with the big, you know, we're going to go with the Big Ten model and I'm going to lead the way. You know, just that would be one example of where you'd like to see a guy like that, you know, come in and, and, and just start things, you know, moving in the right direction. But, uh, but I don't think we know. It's really it, everybody. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was kind of going public. And now everybody is just completely closed lipped. So uh, don't know what that means. It could, is there a deadlock or is it they're near, you know, to coming up with a decision? I don't think we know. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, we put up a piece with, you know, talking about a couple of the candidates. John Wilner reported a few weeks back. Uh, you know, on the two front runners there, I talked to someone in the athletic department, didn't feel like Shapiro was still uh, around. He, he denied and, and Shapiro was asked by, a, I think it was a student journalist at Northwestern and, uh, you know, denied he had been contacted, but you know, really that doesn't mean much to me, the candidates I've seen, he looks like the best. He looks like someone that would come in and do a lot, make a lot of changes and has a lot of experience. It just seemed like it would be a great fit. If you're a USC fan and you want things to get better, the thing you got to worry about is, will this get derailed somehow because of he would be such a good candidate and he would come in and make changes and and disrupt things where they know they need to change things, but don't want to change too much or something like that. That would be the concern 
uh, that I have. You already know that the board of trustees are fighting with each other. So they're the ones, you know, making a call on this. It's like, it, you can't feel great about it, but if somehow it works out, I think you get a president like that to come in. I think then things will be on the right track. But if all the incompetence that's been going around impacts the presidential search, and then you get somebody that's not going to be, you know, it wouldn't be as good as some of the other candidates that had to get overlooked because of what was going on. That's, that's I think, would be the real concern because then you're just going to keep going down this this path where no one's stepping in to make the big changes that need to be made and get things back on track. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of things that have fallen through the cracks. I think the Coliseum renovation probably needed somebody to really be in charge of that to get that squared away correctly. Uh, that didn't seem to happen. Uh, you know, the whole addressing the Pac-12 situation uh, you know, cries out for leadership. That doesn't seem to be happening. I mean, one of the the, the negatives of of Max Nikias leaving was that he was the uh, you know chief. Uh, I mean, he was the head of the Pac-12 uh, 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 chief operating officer, the presidents, uh, and he was also going to be the head of the uh, uh, college football playoff board. So USC lost a spot on both of those, with maybe a chance to. And I know people, you know aren't always happy with with max but uh but i think he was learning i mean he had you know had gone through some you know things where he listened to people and then realized mm, can't do that um but uh you know somebody needs to take charge somebody needs to lead and uh, uh we you know usc badly needs that can't keep waiting got to you know there are so many issues and i think for example a guy like you know a morton shapiro type guy if he doesn't have the freedom to do and address all the issues, you know, with the lawsuits and all the, you know, things that are going around, you know, USC's campus, um, you wouldn't want to come here. You would say, no, if I can't get it right, if I can't fix it, I don't want to be, you know, just here to, you know, tread water and, and just, you know, collect a paycheck. So I think the right person that for USC is a guy who will have the freedom and the power to do all the things USC needs to have done. And that probably isn't a, a you know, attractive uh, uh, option for uh, some of the people who are entrenched at USC right now. So maybe that's the, that's the battle that's going on. I don't know, because if I'm Shapiro and they say, but you can't do this and you can't do that. And we got to be careful. But you just say, Oh, wait, I don't need to do that. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not coming if I can't, you know, I can't do, you know, something about what needs to be done. So I think it's a big decision for USC right now. And the board is so big. There's 57 voting members, 83, I think, total. Um, it's, uh, you know, for just to get everybody up to speed, everybody to have read all the information that they need to have read and their people from, you know, all over the world. Um, I think it's a big challenge, uh, you know, at this point for USC, just a really big challenge. And athletics is just one kind of probably small part of it, a very visible part and a part that everybody, you know, recognizes and thinks about, but, uh, but it, it's certainly a major, it's a major part in a lot of ways in terms of what are you going to do about it and how are you going to fix it and how are you going to make it work and get it to where it's supposed to be. And, uh, so, I mean, the one good thing about athletics, everybody pays attention to it in a way that they maybe don't in other areas. So you can tell how things are going by looking at how athletics are going. And I think, 
you know, the current program right now tells you how things are going, you know, maybe across the board at USC a little bit. I think that's all we got, Keely. Is there any other questions or do you that have That is it. We're, uh, it's off we're, season, Ryan. It's a little, little bit slower. It's a little slower. We still went over an hour and 15 minutes for Whoops. a slow. <laughs> maybe we're not that good. slow. Yeah. Um, yeah, good stuff though. We'll, uh, make yeah, sure. Good question. Yeah. A lot, of good, a lot of good ones. Uh, make sure you check back. Well, looks like Tunnel Vision for Thursday is the plan. So uh, I know people have been writing us saying they like watching that show stuff too. And uh, sometimes we'll put it on podcast form, but no, it's a video. So we want to be able, you know, mostly we want to see you and watch what's going on because we try to put some, we got new cameras in play now. I got another camera working, Keely, so we could have some one shots. Like we got some fun stuff. I think we got some stuff going on, but uh Dan, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for uh, sharing all your insights. Oh, uh, enjoyed it. And uh, maybe you could put a camera on the guy in the other room. <laughs> we're going to work on that. Um, we're going to see. I don't know. He don't, I don't think he wants a camera on himself. but He always clarifies, like, I'm just doing calls. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. But he will text little snarky things to Keely and stuff. It's true. Yeah. Um, thanks, Dan. And thank you, Keely. Thank you. For coming all the way down here to Redondo. Of uh, course. You took a helicopter or did you drive today? What was the... I drove an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, that's only, a... only for the show, you know. Yeah. That's pretty quick. That's that's faster than normal. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Ugh, feel bad. Uh, well, that's Dan Keeley. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 